Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Cybersibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Ollie Hills, CEO of Nonsensical, which is a, a brand name I love, by the way. And we're going to be discussing leveraging the power of local communities via social media. So all things local and social today. Welcome to the podcast, Ollie. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No problem. So before we go into the the depths of today's episode. Do you want to take a moment to introduce people to Nonsensical and your role in that company? Uh, absolutely, and I, I love the fact you you love our name. When okay. we were when we were rebranding um, recently, we re- rebranded in in March. Um, it just absolutely worked, and a lot of this podcast will talk about why kind of nonsensical content really works on social today. So yeah, re- really pleased you you like it. Um, so I'm Ollie. I'm the CEO of Nonsensical. We are a uh, social media agency and publisher. So as well as running clients, social media, et cetera, et cetera, we also own and operate our own social media communities. So we have Birmingham Updates, which has about 750,000 followers across the different social channels. And we also have Best of Bristol, which has now got 150,000 followers, again, across the, the social channels. Uh, and most recently, we launched a non-local community, but a TikTok-specific one called Endless Mythology. And just last week, uh, that tipped over 100,000 followers in just seven months. So yeah, really, really pleased with, with how, that's, uh, how, that's, how that's grown. And in this episode, we'll discuss the growth of those. Uh, how do you describe them yourself? Are they the communities, I guess? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a it's a weird one because no one really knows how to describe them because it's <laughs> semi publisher, semi community, semi like a social media page. Some people call it so, but generally we call it communities. Yeah. So we'll discuss the growth of those communities, but before we get into that part, there was something interesting that came up in the research, uh, and the note I've got in front of me is that as an agency and publisher, you grew from six to twenty three employees in the pandemic, which so far we're. I guess over eight, just over 18 months into the pandemic, which is phenomenal. That's incredible growth. You know, the pandemic has thrown so many variables into the world of business and marketing. And we've heard so many stories about people that have suffered as a result. And then there have been these crazy growth spurts in different types of companies as well. So I'm just interested to know what you think has driven the demand for your services in social media publishing, community growth over this last 18 months. Yeah, I mean, if I can, if I can take us back to 
to March yeah, please. 2020, um, we generally at that point relied on branded partnerships through Birmingham Updates. And in the space of a week, my phone did not stop ringing with everyone asking to basically pause their campaigns that we that we just signed. So I think it was something like 90 or 95% of our revenue was lost in a week, which was absolutely brutal. We're not the only company that have gone through it. So you, you can absolutely can't complain or, or rest on your laurels. And it was just that time really where I thought... A, we as a business we can't rely on on one revenue stream. That was a, a big risk and one that just came and, and bit us really. But actually, what what I noticed was that during lockdown, you still had to communicate with your customers, and social media was absolutely the right way to do that. Both with your local community, if you're a um, independent retailer or cafe or bar or something like that but also nationally if you were more of a national brand. So it was always a niche that I wanted to scratch in terms of setting up an agency. And really, it was just the pandemic that forced our hand to, to do it more quickly than expected, really. So uh, it, it's one of those ones that it's always a little bit hard for me to say. But the reality is to set up a social media agency, all you really need is a phone and a laptop. The barriers to entry to set up an agency is not that high. So I was always really proud of the fact that we'd been there and done it ourselves in terms of creating our own communities and had that kind of proof point, really, and that credibility to say that we've been there, we've done it, and we, we know what content really resonates on social. So in March, April, we we just decided, right, let's go straight into social media management as a service and use Birmingham updates and, and whatnot as our credibility. And then all of a sudden, we just started to win new business after new business after new business and it was it was unbelievable in terms of in terms of growth and and yeah something we're we're really proud of but we do just sit there sometimes and and reflect on what a wild 18 months it's been i mean we've now got a team in bristol a couple of people in in london one in edinburgh one in peterborough so yeah now instead of having six we're now 23 but all dotted across the uk so that's really interesting because a couple of lessons that I've just taken in that small snippet there, that introduction from you, is that the credibility of the communities that you had already built played a big part, it seemed, in winning that early business. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, I'm a massive, massive fan of um, the team at, uh, on the tools um, who built their community and then launched their agency. The likes of Lad Bible, obviously, BuzzFeed, uh, Jungle Creation as well, who who own kind of Kidspiration and, and other amazing communities. So I've always been really inspired by that and actually think, yeah, you're, you, you've been there and done it. And it just took me a while, really, to realize that we'd also done that. It, the fact that it's local makes it even more unique, really. So, um, yeah, I think that credibility aspect was was really important, especially going to pitches and, and showing that we're the team to, to support these these brands that we now work with. And the businesses that you won early on in the pandemic, so we're talking yeah, March, April, 20, I'm losing track of time, 2020, were those local companies in the Birmingham area? And when did you start to expand to other cities? Yes. So generally it was, it was Birmingham. So we knew that some of our clients who obviously wanted to stop advertising, they'd struggled with, with their own socials. So it was a, a quick conversation with them really to be like, let's come and create some stuff for you. Let's really kind of supercharge your your own communities and, and run your socials. So that was quite quite quick actually in terms of focusing in on Birmingham because we had a pre-existing relationship. 
once then you get the case studies, we then started to move into more national brands that we now run their socials for. And for the business that you have won in the pandemic, you know, it's incredibly hard. People are very conscious about the money that they spend. And I've experienced it in a marketing agency, exactly the same scenarios that you described at the beginning there, people calling you up and saying, hey, you know, we want to pause or cancel our contracts. And that is a nightmare scenario, really difficult to navigate in 2020. So to have grown these companies in this time, the demand for social media is something that's really interesting to me. Is there anything that you can pinpoint or that you've reflected on in this period that has maybe made social media services more attractive to local companies? Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting point. I'm actually doing a little bit of work now on speaking to, to our customers and, and other marketeers about what is the actual value of social. I don't think anyone's quite answered that question in a way that is succinct and kind of makes sense. I think where brands really struggled was if you did have a community it was very very easy to communicate with your with your potential customers and customers and i think the pandemic really shone a light on the importance of having that direct line to your followers to your community that they didn't have before and maybe didn't need previously because you'd get passing trade or or whatever it may be so i think the fact that your only route to communicating with customers was either through TV ads or TikTok, which seemed to blow up during lockdown, was was your traditional social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Yeah, something that strikes me that I'm just kind of reflecting on and thinking about is that I don't know the stats on this, but it would be interesting to know. I'd assume that people would want to replicate that sense of community in the uk we're kind of out of the lockdown scenario now but when we were locked down you're seeking that sense of community elsewhere because you weren't getting that interaction offline so maybe that's where the social media the the demand for social media and particularly engagement and particularly the rise of tiktok is kind of the perfect sweet spot in that that's where you can spend a lot of time you've got time to spend and you can do it in a community as well Uh, tiktok is Wow, unbelievable platform! I'm uh, I'm obsessed. I think it's absolutely incredible. Well, we'll, we'll let's get into that then. So, um, <laughs> because I, I want to talk about the to kind of build the picture up about what you do for our listeners and for myself. I want to learn a little bit more about how you've grown some of these communities, in particular, Best of Bristol, Birmingham updates, and sorry, was it Endless Mythology? It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, maybe if you could just describe those local social communities. I know Endless Mythology isn't local necessarily, but talk me through the process of building those accounts, those communities, those projects up. Great. So uh, Birmingham Updates was was the first. Um, cast your mind back just over 10 years ago to August 2011. The UK was in a torrid time because you'll recall there was the riots. And in Birmingham, it was hit quite badly. There was a lot of looting and, and serious problems. And the brutal, honest truth is that even back in 2011, there was a zero lack of trust in social media. We talk about it now in terms of fake news and all that stuff. But even back in 2011, people didn't know what to believe when they were on social media. So um, Luke, who was a, a colleague of mine, set up Birmingham Updates on Facebook and was literally just writing what was going on, what was safe, where wasn't safe what was true and what wasn't. There was a big rumor going around that the children's hospital in Birmingham was on fire. 
And this Facebook page was basically created to dispel myth and rumor around the riots. Mm. And back in the day when Zuckerberg didn't have so many yachts to fill, he grew to 65,000 followers in just three days, which was absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, you could do it back in 2011, but not not <laughs> now, unfortunately. And it was at that point that it kind of grasped the imagination of of Birmingham and, and, and also us in terms of the team, because when you think about social media, the actual transition for publications, so your traditional local news per se, was they didn't understand how to operate on social. And the reason for that is because they didn't know how to make money. So a traditional newspaper is obsessed by getting people onto their website. That's all they care about. And in order to do that, you have to take someone from social, click a link, and get them to the site. Now, if you think about what's been the major problem over the last 10 years, it's actually the rise in fake news and clickbait. And people don't want clickbait. People are bored of it. So the way we managed to grow Birmingham Updates was just writing and producing content that was inherently social first. If something had happened or there was a new bar opening or a new restaurant or a road was closed or something like that, we would produce that content and distribute it straight through social media. And the engagement that we got was so much bigger than anyone else that all of a sudden Birmingham Updates was just absolutely everywhere. And we just continued to grow and grow and grow. Similarly in Bristol, so Sam, who's who's now my business partner, launched Best of Bristol. Again, he realized that there wasn't that social first community or social first page that was covering what was happening in Bristol, supporting independence, talking about amazing charities, talking about amazing initiatives, new restaurants, bars, all that good stuff without kind of driving someone to a website where the experience was so appalling actually just really, really, really worked from a, from an engagement perspective. We thought about what the platforms wanted as well when it came to the content. And we just really operated in a way that was maximizing our engagement and reach through social. And it was that really that absolutely worked for us to, to grow to, to a million followers across all of our communities now. I think the, the biggest challenge obviously is it's all fun and games just creating a massive community obviously that isn't a sustainable business so it was difficult to to make that transition but it's one that we've we've done quite successfully there's so much that i want to ask about this as i'm thinking Sorry, it through. I, I rambled on quite a lot there no no that's re- it's really helpful and i'm just sitting here thinking about you made a re- very clear and succinct point and something I, have, I haven't really reflected on myself too much but the the emergence and the issue with clickbait and fake news and traditional media companies wanting to get use social media to get clicks back to their website, essentially that creates this extra step in the user journey, which we don't want. Now, the counter argument is that the counter argument to this, which is on, I'm thinking through, is that journalists and traditional media companies will probably argue you should get your information from factual, trustworthy sources, such as traditional media companies. Of course, they're going to argue that point. So they would argue that some of this democratization of news is not actually helpful to the end user and and maybe leading to the misinformation as well, or the age of misinformation. Yeah, correct. Um, So I'm just maybe just interesting touching on that point about 
I understand what you said. Essentially, you're matching, you're giving readers or local people, users, readers, the raw truth. You're giving them information in the format or the medium that they've signed up for. They've signed up for Facebook to get receive information in a certain way. They don't want to use Facebook as a click through to another platform. So I understand that that's really clear. But how do you ensure the trustworthiness of the news that you deliver when it comes to local information? Yeah, uh, great question. Great question. And it's always a difficult one because even on social, like I love Lad Bible. Lad Bible is genius, right? But what is it that gets the most engagement on Lad Bible? It's generally when McDonald's launch a ridiculous burger or <laughs> Greg's do something funny or Aldi do something funny, right? And it is so easy for us as Birmingham Updates Investor Bristol to jump on that type of content because we know it's just going to get monster engagement. You yeah. just know it. But actually what that does is it loses the integrity of the page yeah. or the community. So the integrity of the community is all about Birmingham or Bristol. If we start producing content that is A, incorrect, B, not relevant, i.e. not about Birmingham or Bristol, and C, misleads our audience, our business is gone. Literally, our community would not follow us. Our engagement would be everyone just commenting, this is all nonsense, this is rubbish, et cetera, et cetera. No one would therefore advertise with us. No one would therefore have a job, and it would be impossible to keep the community going. So from our perspective, I totally get the point that journalists want that truth, integrity, um, level of regulation, which is absolutely correct and absolutely fair. Ours is more of a moral thing whereby if we were to wind up our community, produce content that wasn't correct or, or, or the other things that I mentioned, we're out, we're done. We don't exist anymore. And that is always our, our kind of underlying principle that we have to main, make sure that our community are, are always trusting us and always engaging and, and liking the content we produce. No, that's a really great answer. And that helps me understand And actually, just as we unfold some of this a little bit more in the growth of these two communities, particularly with um, Best of Bristol and Birmingham updates here. So what platforms are we talking about now that Best of Bristol and Birmingham updates operate on? So Facebook, I think you mentioned, I've seen Instagram in my research. Any other platforms or groups? Uh, yes. So Twitter is yeah. a Twitter generally is something where we do more reactive content. So where we will jump on a trend, but can make it relevant. So Squid Game, for example, is everywhere at the moment. It's still everywhere. Um, so we produced a bit of funny content that linked Squid Game to Birmingham and Bristol. So we <laughs> use Twitter from that perspective. And the other one is TikTok. So both Birmingham Updates and Best of Bristol are now now growing quite quickly, actually, on, on TikTok, and it's an amazing platform. And I know we'll come on to it, but it's literally changed how you think about content even on facebook and instagram now tiktok has sorry the yeah. L, yeah right right got you yeah we'll come back to that in just a moment so um just a couple of other questions about best of bristol and birmingham updates and the growth of those communities i'm interested in outside of just that trustworthiness discussion that we just had were there any obstacles, obstacles in your journey it. yeah in growing the birmingham updates community 
which you then were able to overcome and apply those lessons in the growth of Best of Bristol. So there's things you've learned along that journey, really. Yeah. So um, what one of the biggest ones was the changes in the platform. So I can't, I think it was back in 20, maybe 2016, 2017. And Mark Zuckerberg came out and said, Facebook is changing. And it's more about meaningful connection between people, I think was his words. Right. And from that point on, the algorithm has never been the same. It has been much, much harder for publications like Birmingham Updates and Best of Bristol to get massive cut through on Facebook in particular. So before you would be able to reach one, two, three, four times the amount of followers you have. So if you've got 100,000 followers, it's possible for you to go viral and reach two, three, four, 500,000 people. Not anymore. So the algorithm changes where I think on average, it's between 15 to 20% of your community see your posts on average now. Mm -hmm. That is a major, major difference. So from our perspective, it was adjusting to that, making sure that we were creating content that was meaningful engagement, meaningful um, connections between people. So we had to change the way we did our captions to answer more questions, to bring our community more on board. We had to think about the type of content. So again, on Facebook in particular, they had this big push for videos that were longer than three minutes in length. Now, to go from a position where you could write a quick caption with a photo to have to produce a video that's longer than three minutes is huge in terms of the resource required to do that. So that was really interesting for us and quite a a big change that we had to to jump onto. And it was something that was completely, completely out of our hands. And any publication, brand, person, influencer using social is at the beck and call of the algorithm. So it's not just us, but from our perspective, it was quite a major shift to to performing well on those platforms. And that was a a major obstacle. The other one I I mentioned briefly, and that was the engagement bait and the temptation to write about an amazing thing that Greg's have done. I think Audi released a pair of trainers or Lidl released a pair of trainers and it just went absolutely wild. It was everywhere. Um, And you're so tempted to write about it or to put up a post, but you're like, this isn't relevant to my community. This isn't Birmingham. And you've got to go to those underlying principles of why do people follow this page? And that was, that was really big. And then one of the worst ones, which was really quite sad and it, it impacted a lot of our team, was um, during the pandemic, actually, we, we were still covering news at that point. We've actually changed our content strategy quite, quite heavily because what we noticed was that the negativity and just almost hate in the comments around Black Lives Matter, about COVID, about all of these things was just quite shocking. And it really, really impacted the the team who were actually running Birmingham Updates and and, uh, our other communities. And it was at that point, really, that we had to think, how do we change the mood of our community? And it was really that, that pivotal moment where we stopped actually covering local news as it were and we move towards more local lifestyle more positive news more upbeat 
stories, so incredible street art, people doing amazing things, exciting things for the region, like the Commonwealth Games coming to Birmingham. So it was it was kind of, yeah, the mood of the nation, really, that was a big obstacle for our growth, and we had to really adapt our content strategy to get around that. That is fascinating. And it's, yeah, the way I'm kind of summarizing that in my mind, it's kind of a shift between covering local news, but then just to local coverage. Coverage is a bit broader. It's more within your control. News is dictated by whatever's happening and you're reacting to it. Coverage is a bit more proactive. You can kind of choose and like you said, maybe mold or shape the mood to the conversations that you want to have a little bit more. But um, you're completely right. And it's something that I haven't had a discussion on this podcast with anyone about, but the political awareness the social awareness everything that's just happened in the world over the last few years one of the most difficult jobs i imagine has been to be a social media or community manager being on the receiving end of all of everyone's opinions every day to manage conversations to try and manage the mood to keep things positive it's difficult for so many of us but if you're seeing those things day in day out and that's your job I imagine there's a lot of very worn out and downbeat social media and community managers out there. So oh, yes. yeah, yes. to all of you out there that have been working, I appreciate you. Thanks for your hard work. And um, I think it's just it's just a case of uh, we just have to appreciate those roles and how difficult totally. they are. And remember, totally. remember that they are actual people on the other end of that, really. Yeah, I remember. I think it was... It was um... The social media manager at Yorkshire Tea deserves a massive shout out because I, I can't remember the actual... Uh, comment, but I'm sure it was Rishi Sunak was holding up a bag of Yorkshire tea and someone was shouting at Yorkshire tea on Twitter saying, oh, I'm never going to drink you again. And the social media manager just replied to whoever it was. It's like, literally you're shouting at tea. And it was unbelievable. <laughs> I would just laughed so much. And it was that really that you're just like, yeah, these, these social media managers get bombarded day yeah. in, day out. And, I, I tell you what, social media manager is one of the hardest roles, mm. one of the hardest roles ever, because the complexity of what you're asked to do now is massive. We, we expect social media managers and content creators to be videographers, editors, photographers, copywriters, data analysts, <laughs> now presenters, because TikTok wants people to front the yep. videos, and a, a graphic designer. Honestly, the, the list just goes on with what we expect from our social media managers yeah. today. And it is it is a tough job, especially then at the end of the day when you go to moderate some comments and you've just got absolute hate and chaos um, to, to kind of go through. So, yeah, I, I massive respect to all social media managers out there. It's not an easy job, and I think you deserve a lot more respect than, than you maybe get. Yeah, you you just mentioned so many aspects of the role of the social media managers that a mediator, like mediating between people in comments and stuff, is also another important. Yeah, absolutely, counselor. <laughs> yeah, counselor. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's important that I'm glad we had that conversation. It's um, important to shine a light on that topic. And uh, the thing that's really difficult is that in an ideal world, you know, maybe as you've just described, if you're a bigger company, you have the luxury of greater budgets then perhaps you do have a separate videographer and separate to a social media manager, separate to a presenter and so on and so forth. In smaller companies, it's pretty natural that your roles are a little broader. But again, if you're a business owner or someone that's recruiting a social media manager in a small company, you do have to manage your expectations about what's achievable. 
Yeah, but totally, totally. On that, on that note, how does that work for Best of Bristol and Birmingham updates? Do you have separate people doing separate roles? Do you have generally one or two, what do you call them, journalist types or creators? Yeah, yeah. So we we have um, so Sam is is our CMO. So he's overall responsible for the performance and um, I guess content pillars within our within our communities. Uh, and then we have a head of Birmingham updates and we have a head of Best of Bristol. And they are responsible for making sure the content we're putting down is is good. So a lot of the content that we use is user-generated. So amazing photographers, amazing videographers that have been in created content that we obviously ask for permission for and, and shine a light on the work they're doing. Then also we have uh, a range of videographers and photographers and graphic designers. So if we do want to go out and create content ourselves, they can basically write briefs for our team to go out and, and create that for them if they're not out and about themselves just creating. So, yeah, we're we're quite lucky in the fact that we have those specialties. Um, we've also got presenters as well, which is brilliant. So a lot more informative presenter-led content that we're doing at the moment. Just one example is that there was there's basically an underground bunker, a nuclear bunker that sits underneath Birmingham that nobody knows about. Nice. And we did a, a presenter-led piece all about um, why that's there, what it is, where it goes from. We did another one. There's a, apparently a, a gypsy curse on the Birmingham City Football Club uh, stadium. So again, we went down and filmed one of our presenters talking about that. And yeah, so we're, we're very fortunate that we've got that wide range of skills within the team. As you were talking through the growth of those communities, I'm also interested in software and organic versus paid. So just on the software front, have you used any software to help grow these communities over these last 10, 5, 10 years? Yes, good question. So uh, one of the biggest ones for us is uh, a platform called CrowdTangle. And Facebook actually bought CrowdTangle a couple of years ago. Um, and basically gave it as a free bit of software to um, publishers. And what you can do is you can set triggers, basically. So when content starts to get higher levels of engagement relative to normal in the likes of Facebook groups or other um, pages that you can set to follow, you can get notified when things start to trend. So that was a really big one for us because we wanted to make sure that back in the day when we were covering news that we wanted to be first, we wanted to make sure that we were covering the story. So that was a real big one for for us. Other bits of technology, I mean, Twitter for us was just epic. So the likes of TweetDeck, I know it's really obvious, but it worked so well just to see what the conversation was, obviously setting up keywords in Birmingham and Bristol and just having a real localized view. I guess that's the one benefit we have when we're just a location-based community is that most people, when they're writing about content, you either know them because they're influential within the city or they write Brum, Birmingham, Bristol in their captions. So uh, from that perspective, just having really good keyword trackers was was absolutely vital for us. Onto the topic of organic and paid. So, so far, everything that you've described, we've described journalists or creators responding to news and then pivoting to coverage. You've discussed their software that's helped you grow. And then, of course, there's the organic versus paid. Now, going back to, you mentioned 2016 and some Facebook algorithm changes. You know, the more skeptical people out there, it depends what side of the fence you sit on. Some people say, hey, 
Facebook changed the algorithm so that people had to pay for exposure more. And actually, the only way to build communities is through paid ads on Facebook and other platforms. What's been your experience? Has all of this been organic? Has it been paid? A mix of both? Uh, so Birmingham Updates Investor Bristol has been fully organic. We've never paid to promote following us. One of the biggest things we had was we had a lot of deals with brands where we would basically guarantee a certain level of coverage. And before it was so easy to hit those because the content you produced just went absolutely wild. And we were always overestimating how many people we'd reach because the algorithm was in our favor. So when the algorithm turned and we had these deals still in place, we did have to put some spend behind just to make sure that we achieved our our contractual requirements, basically. So there has been paid behind some of our posts, but it's generally on branded content rather than organic content. And on the paid side of things in general, are you on that kind of more skeptical side of the view that social media companies or big tech companies in general are trying to tweak the algorithm in favor of their self-service ad platforms? Is that where you would stand maybe? Or do you not read into it that much? Uh, no, I, 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 it's, it's natural, right? If you were Mark Zuckerberg, you would not continue to run Facebook if you were just giving people free reach. I mean, the reality is he's an extremely successful business person, as is uh, Jack Dorsey at Twitter, etc., etc. So I believe the algorithms were changed to suppress reach. You can see it in the data. Like a lot of um, the stuff we see is our average um, reach per post used to be 120,000 on Birmingham updates. Now you're looking at between 70 and 80. So that's a huge reduction. And it was all after these announcements that the Zuckerberg made. So I absolutely believe that there is a suppression in in reach. They've changed the algorithms, absolutely. What I don't stand for, though, is always using that to blame poor performance because good content does get good engagement. It's yeah. absolutely 100% true um, for, from that respect. And one of the reasons we, we rebranded to Nonsensical is because if you think about the content that actually works on social, it's not always what you'd expect. So if you're a brand, do people actually care about brands on social? Honestly, do you really look forward to the next post from the post office or the AA or some of these companies that have social media? Absolutely not. What you actually engage with is content that is funny, relevant, inspiring it may be educational you may learn something and it's that really or or trending obviously trending topic so um pop culture and, and that kind of thing so actually if you're a brand and you're really thinking about what it is that's going to engage your community and you're creating content that actually works and actually re- um resonates with with your audience your engagement rates and your reach will be higher so I don't buy that the algorithm has suppressed everything and it's a waste of time because good content does cut through. That's a great phrase at the end. In fact, that's a phrase I had in mind as you were talking. Good content cuts through. And um, it's very easy, isn't it, to it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that maybe your content's not resonating because of the tech companies and whatever's happening, but you're in control of what you produce and you've got to experiment 
And as you've said, there is lots of luck involved and timing, which exactly. makes a lot of this nonsensical. I'm interested, actually, as we talk about that, has there anything that has been, there been anything more, maybe more recently that stood out to you? Maybe something that you, you know, it's just an everyday piece, something that's produced that maybe has been particularly popular for you in, in any of these communities that you just didn't expect. And maybe it's just a mix of that timing, luck, something that's resonated that just doesn't make sense, but it's worked. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. So community-wise, we, we started working with a, with a presenter in Bristol. It's called Oscar, or Boss Vanessa is, is his, uh, his name. And we did a piece where he, he basically went into one of the Indian restaurants that we worked with and just tried a couple of dishes on the menu. Oscar is unbelievably Bristol. Like if you think of Bristolian, think 10 times more and you've got Oscar, right? And it was just absolutely perfect. So it's him in the rain outside the Indian restaurant. I'm not going to try and do the Bristol accent because it was just embarrassing for everyone involved. But the way that he started the video, then took you through, did the testing, the tasting, sorry, it was unreal. I think it reached like 300,000 people across Instagram Reels and, and TikTok. It was just absolutely mind-blowing. And when you produced it, you're just like, yeah, that's a good bit of content. It's a little bit bizarre because you have this like ridiculously Bristol uh, presenter and it just went absolutely wild. Absolutely <laughs> wild. It was amazing. I recommend you go and have a look because it was it is funny. You know, I, I can't describe Oscar apart from the most Bristolian person you've ever seen. I was going to say that's the kind of thing I'll link to in the show notes if any listeners want to look at that and uh, take a look at that. And then I'm glad you mentioned TikTok there because I think it's good to close out and you've kind of you've teased your enthusiasm for TikTok throughout this. So time to talk about TikTok. When did TikTok really start coming on your radar? When did you start to experiment with it? And as you talk through that, maybe talk about the growth of this endless mythology community if you can. Yeah, great. So TikTok really, I think like most people was... I mean, I knew it when it was musically and you kind yeah, of look yeah. at it and you're like, okay, fair enough. Can't quite get my head around this. And then all of a sudden, I think it must have been March, April time, it just went through the roof. And every video you saw on Instagram had the TikTok watermark. Yeah. You're like, what is going on here? And what I love about TikTok is they've completely turned the model on its head. So if you think about Facebook and Instagram, all it is you're seeing is pretty much the same content over and over again. So you go onto your home screen, your, your home screen, your newsfeed, and you will see posts from people you follow, whether that's friends, brands, influencers, news publications. And eventually it gets a bit samey. Like you look at your stories most days and it's pretty much the same content. It's quite salesy. You've got sponsored ads in there that are just completely irrelevant. And it just gets a bit boring. Now, what TikTok have done is they've basically gone, forget that. I'm just going to show you content I think you're going to like. And I'm going to learn so much about you from how you actually engage with content that every time you come on, it is an absolute goldmine. And you've got no idea what is coming next. So it, it's just an absolutely fascinating platform. It is by far the only place as a brand, as a publication, as a community builder, where you can have a thousand followers, but your video go viral and reach millions of people. Uh, that's really interesting. And so, yeah, maybe as you talk that through, when did that interest and enthusiasm turn into, hey, 
the, this is going to turn into an endless mythology community. I really want to know that story. Also, it's such a niche topic, but one that I can see. Uh, it's very hard to explain, isn't it? But I can see how that topic or those topics would resonate so much with a TikTok audience. Yeah, totally, totally. So um, as a social media agency, uh, again, it goes back to what I was saying at the start in terms of credibility. So I knew that brands would want to be on this platform. It was going nowhere. They sponsored the Euros. It was This platform was going places. They've got a billion active users excluding China and India. So it, it's monster, right? You, you have to be on there. And one thing I could not do is go to a sales pitch or go and speak to someone and say, hey, we can run your TikTok without doing it ourselves. So we spoke to, to a lady in our team called Izzy, absolute legend. And we said, right, we got a challenge for you. And she's obsessed with Assassin's Creed. She just finished uh, Valhalla and a couple of wow. other, other, other games. And she was like, I tell you what, I'm really interested in, in mythology. And this is the reason why you should never listen to your bosses. We, we said, that's a bit niche. Like, it, how are you going to create so much content about mythology? So we said, why don't you start with endless history? And funnily enough, we started with endless history. Every single post we did was fine. And then the mythology ones that Izzy put in went absolutely wild. So we're like, okay, Izzy, you, you've won us over here. Focus all the content on mythology and off you go. And yeah, seven months, she's grown it to, to 100,000 followers. I think we've had something ridiculous like 10 million video views or, or something ridiculous across that time. Um, and, and the biggest thing with, with TikTok is finding a, a mode or a method or a, a style of video that really works for you and your community. So Endless Mythology, we do a lot of voiceover type videos. So we'll get footage and we'll talk about stories about whatever it may be, Cyclops or um, Norse mythology or, or, or whatever it may be. Whereas with Birmingham Updates and Best of Bristol, what we do is more here's awesome places to go and visit in Bristol and we'll send a presenter down there and they'll start to talk and show you through some of the best burger restaurants or best places to get cocktails or five hidden parks you didn't know about. So the different types of content you can create on that platform, it's a case of testing and really working out what resonates with with the community that, that, that you're building. So yeah, Izzy takes full credit and should never listen to us again. Basically, <laughs> there's quite a few things that I want to ask. So, on the TikTok, uh, in terms of the growth of that community, again, is that all paid or is there organic there? I know TikTok recently opened up their self-service ads in the UK. Yeah, so all of all of that has been organic, no paid. And a similar question as to those that I've asked before, in terms of any software or services that have helped you in that community management and growth on TikTok. Uh, yes, so. I'm going to do a self-plug in a moment because I think what we've created is quite fun, actually. But yeah, yeah, the, the first one, I can't even remember what they used to edit the film, the videos. It'll come to me in a second. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of video editing, we, we find absolutely crucial. We use InShot, which is a, a really, really simple mobile phone video editor. There's so many great transitions on there, so much music. It's absolutely brilliant. So the good thing about that is if you're creating content that can work across both TikTok and Instagram Reels, you can edit outside of TikTok through InShot and then upload to both platforms. That obviously doesn't work all the time. If you're 
creating content specifically to do with music or a trend or a hashtag that's trending on TikTok, it generally doesn't work on Reels. But for more proactive content, then you can use use InShot. So that's something that the team absolutely rely on in terms of in terms of editing. And, and one of the funniest things is we've got. Um, they won't mind me saying this. We've got videographers in our team who are superb in terms of the way that they produce content, but sometimes it's actually too polished for TikTok. So one of the biggest things that they, they absolutely hate it is just like, right, this is a TikTok video. So can you just go out with your phone and a gimbal and just <laughs> capture the content and be a little bit shaky? <laughs> it's like, yeah. they, they look at me like I've gone absolutely nuts, but it's all about authenticity of content. And, and if it's too polished, it just, it just doesn't work. And then by far, I think the most important thing on on TikTok and, and most platforms today, to be fair, is having a presenter who is very, very confident and comfortable on camera. TikTok is all about the first five seconds. If you've got someone who's energetic, who can explain what's going to be in the video, really capture your attention in, in that first five seconds, you will absolutely go far. And it's one of the major reasons why brands don't start on TikTok. So what we did was we thought, well, actually, we don't have this many presenters in-house. We have some, like our, our TikTok specialist, which is by far the most 2021 job title of all time, has 80,000 followers on his own TikTok. So he's an absolute machine. Um, but what we decided to do was actually go out into TikTok and, and basically find presenters who would be willing to create content. So we now have a service called TikTok On Demand where brands can come to us and clients can come to us and say, we want X number of videos creating for, for TikTok. Can you help us with a brief and actually finding the right person to, to record it, to, to present it, whether that's based on diversity or, or whatever it may be in terms of making sure it's right for the brand. So that's been something that's been really quite fun building over the last kind of six months or so. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing and a really useful resource. And one thing that we haven't discussed is you've grown this community, all of these communities, but in particular, in particular, endless mythology. Are you now monetizing that community in any way, or are you just continuing to use it as kind of an experimental internal project? Uh, at the moment, um, experimental and, and very internal. We are on TikTok's creator fund now so they pay us money for content we create just for the platform it's not that lucrative i'll be brutally honest but um it's nice to be <laughs> to be valued by the platforms um so no we we're we're just fully organic and, and not paid for on that platform at the moment maybe if the next assassin's creed comes out or a brand <laughs> wants to to reach into the mythology uh community then then we're open but um yeah it's it's just kind of internal research and credibility building really for us and just proving that we can do it and i'm not a huge tiktok user like uh, as a, a marketer i experiment i'm just a social media lurker in general you know i'm not i get I, I, i'm my medium is podcasting and i enjoy these conversations and get out there that way but one thing that I haven't seen uh, as much as I've spent time on TikTok is local aspects of TikTok. I don't even know if that exists. So can you achieve that kind of same sense of local community as with Facebook, as with Instagram on TikTok? Is that something you've seen or experimented with? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant question. I mean, we, we talked earlier about what are the best platforms for building local. Yeah. One of the best ones is actually Facebook groups right now. It's absolutely spot on. People are looking and searching for, for groups. They want to be more local. And that's 
one of the best ways of actually building local communities today is is through Facebook groups. But TikTok is uh, is getting there. Um, it's very much to do on the hashtags that you use and making sure that you're creating content that is, again, true to your community. So when we create content for Bristol and Birmingham, we make sure that we've got the accents good. So you've got a Bristol accent, a Birmingham accent. We film in memorable and noticeable places in those two cities. So the algorithm basically learns who that video should be going to. So based on the hashtags, based on if someone's engaged with it before, it's a little bit hit and miss, but we have grown. I think Birmingham Updates is at 10,000 followers now and rest of Bristol is at 14,000, I think. And the good thing with having local communities is you're based in in, in Brighton, I think you said. Um, why would you follow Birmingham Updates or Best of Bristol? It's not mm. of interest to you at all. If I talk about five parks to go to, you are completely and utterly not interested. So it's a case of making sure that the content you're creating is right for that community that you want to build. That's a a really, really important aspect. And just on the paid side of things, they haven't launched it yet, but they are about to release location-based targeting through their ads platform. So that will become helpful for us to grow a little bit quicker on that platform as well. Ollie, I know we're at the end of our time together now. So just to close out the episode, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you nonsensical and maybe some of the accounts that we've just been discussing today yeah absolutely so um linkedin is, is always good so I'm, I'm oliver hills on on linkedin follow nonsensical on on social so we are nonsensical.social on instagram and tiktok we generally try and produce content about news and, and things happening in the world of, of social media things that you should know good campaigns so definitely recommend following us on on there and we've actually just launched a report into the top 50 UK brands on TikTok today. Um, so you can get that on our website, which is nonsensical.agency. It's free to download. And um, it's got some really helpful resource in there in terms of how the brands have, have actually built their communities like McLaren and Gymshark and Black Country Living Museum, who are, who are actually number one, have done an absolutely incredible job. So yeah, it's well worth having a read. Ollie, thanks again. That's been a really interesting episode and uh, helped me to reflect on kind of local social and in TikTok in particular in a way that I haven't done recently on the podcast. All of the links to everything that we've been discussing today will be in the show notes. And for now, I'll just say thanks for your time. And this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. Thanks, Scott. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 